Hello and welcome to another episode of The Deal Flow Show. I'm J.P. Maroney, your host, along with my co-host, Mr. Paul Nicolini. And uh, we've got a great guest here today. We're going to be talking about a couple of topics that have really gathered steam over the last few years. So hopefully we'll get to dive into that. We've got a great guest, Mr. Rod Turner, from Manhattan Capital. And uh, I found out that that is Manhattan Street Capital, right. and that is in San Diego, not New York. And I think, you know, Rod, I don't know if you remember, but this was back early when I was putting Harbor City together. Uh, you and I spoke briefly, and we talked. Yeah. And at that time, yeah, at that time, the reggae's were just catching on, and you were doing the first few of them. And as I understand it, you guys have put quite a bit of water under the bridge since then. So looking forward to diving into that. But in this episode, we're going to obviously talk about some of the great fundraising opportunities and ways that deal makers out there can put capital together for their projects. We're going to talk about some things that you might be working on that you'd like to talk about, as well as we're going to ask you some questions that hopefully we'll dive into your storehouse of knowledge and your years of experience that will help us put together a book we're writing called Dealmakers Deal Breakers. And it's going to be for anyone in the deal making process, all areas of the capital stack and the capital markets, as well as um, attorneys, service providers, people like yourself. So, so uh, let's, jump into the, let's jump into the questions. Why don't you give us a, a little bit of background about how you got started in the capital markets? I'm an entrepreneur, as you, well, I guess we'll get into that later. I'm a serial entrepreneur. And I did a failed startup um, in 2011, 2012, 2013, which was focused, I've done six clearly successful startups, right? But unfortunately, you don't always win. This one failed, but it was... It was intriguing in some ways. It was a neat idea. I saw that um, Kickstarter would only allow projects. They wouldn't allow companies and they wouldn't allow charities. And I didn't like the arbitrary way that they were allowing and disallowing people to go live on their platform. So I, um, and I felt that there was an opportunity to fix that. So I made start.ac, launched it. And it was, um, in, in essence, it, it was a neat concept, but uh, we we were starving for oxygen because they were doing what was needed. They were doing a really good job uh, with, of what was needed. And even though there were lots of wonderful innovations, Start.ac uh, failed. We focused on charities and we focused on companies because they weren't allowed on Kickstarter. But, you know, donations to companies are, you know, people want to own, own stock, right? So it's you know, it was always going to be a challenge. So I misread that one, but I, I, it, it made me pay attention to the Jobs Act because the Jobs Act was announced as I was launching the company, going live with it, got a lot of extra coverage as a result. But, you know, then, you know, the Jobs Act was way delayed because the SEC took a long time to deliver on the, the, the promise, if you will. But I was paying attention to it the whole time. And when Reggae Plus came along, I decided... Having, I looked at it thoroughly and I'm very impressed with it, actually. It's a very well-written uh, set of regulations and there's a huge need for what uh, you can do with Reggae Plus. In my view, it's going to be $50, $60 billion a year of capital raised when it hits stride in, you know, in today's dollar numbers. 
which, you know, that's sizable compared to 160 billion a year in the IPO and secondary market space. But we'll see if I'm right or wrong. Anyway, I launched this company for that reason then, which was um, April of 2015, so five years and four months ago. Excellent. Since the beginning of this, what has the evolutionary process and how do you feel the acceptance has been for Regulation A over the past, let's say, five, six years that it's really seemed to have started picking up steam? Yeah, so it went live uh, five years and three months, two months, five, five years and four months ago, right around the same time I went live with the, with, with the company. We were the first dedicated Reggae Plus platform. There were other existing platforms that added Reggae Plus, but we were the first to be focused on it. Anyway, to, to answer your question, you know, it, it does take a long time for people to become aware of things, especially when they're so completely different than the old way, right? So it, it has taken a long time. And um, I would say 2019 was really the first banner year for Reggae Plus because it, it was 41% uh, up on 2018, uh, which is a sizable growth rate year on year. And it was uh, just over a billion dollars raised in capital uh, in Reggae Plus in, in 2019. And that, you know, that's good. That puts it on a, the same level as the entire private placement business, right? which people know more about because it's been around for a longer time. So, you know, that's not too shabby. We've got a long way to go with it, but I, I see all sorts of signs of growth this year with, you know, even notwithstanding COVID, um, so, you know, we, we, I don't know what the growth rate for the whole Reggae Plus industry is going to be this year, but we are seeing amazing companies, amazing quality companies that are such a good fit for Reggae Plus, or really Reggae Plus is such a good fit for them, that this is going to be a banner year, you know, even though we're, you know, a large way through it, and next year is going to be superb as well. It'll be exciting to see. I, we're going to see a, 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 the restarting of IPOs in Reggae Plus, you know, even if it's just the ones that we're working on. You know, that's, that's going to, and once you get a couple of good ones out, then, then there'll be others that will follow. To my mind, that's a very big piece of the, of the puzzle. Anyway, yeah, that's the short story. It's uh, showing signs of great life at the moment. Rod, the Reggae uh, platform is basically a direct-to-consumer Platform. How do you see the broker-dealer community accepting the reggae platform as well? Like anything new, and any, especially in industries that aren't known for their rapid adoption of new stuff, right? You know, insurance industry, the banking industry, I would say the capital raising industry are all relatively stuck in their ways. You get a hell of a lot of naysayers. I mean, it's, you know, more at the beginning. I was at, I was at the time I. I I had a meeting in New York City, this was 2017, we were already two years in, and this guy that had a, a broker-dealer and writer had just sold it, got out of the, just got out of the business. He's telling me that it's impossible to do a reggae plus to the NASDAQ. He's telling me that. Well, we already, the industry had done four, and I had written an article for Forbes on the one that we did, that, that closed on that Tuesday, we're meeting on Thursday. It happened for Christ's sake, you know, it's happening. That kind of uh, 
you know, blocked thinking isn't unusual. So we've seen a lot of that. But in the way it's working out is that broker dealers are getting involved in pragmatic and appropriate ways, and they've been adapting to it and doing good. You know, we have a broker dealer that we work with that charges a one percent commission um, because their purpose is to allow our offerings to get into the seven problem states that aren't cooperating with the SEC. It's a very much simpler way to, to get that access. And it took me four and a half years to find a broker dealer willing to go that low on the commission because that's not the norm, right? Um, so in a non-intrusive manner that doesn't interrupt the investment uh, process for the investors either. So it's very beneficial. But, you know, there are underwriters that, that like Reg A Plus that have done IPOs with it that will do that will do them again as the time comes along. Uh, that's a solid spot. Uh, and there are broker dealers that are active in this space, some of them doing some very innovative things, surprisingly strong innovative things. Uh, and uh, um, although really what I see happening mostly is that because of the public transparent nature of these raises, um, most broker dealers don't really want to get involved or won't actually add value until an offering is clearly successful. So if you imagine a, a $45 million Reg A plus and you know, it goes live with no money at all, the broker dealer doesn't, their reps don't want to risk their client reputation by going to bat when it might not ever come to pass. It might not succeed, right? It's just too early. But when you've hit on a 45 mil, whatever, you know, 25 million at a good clip, when you've hit that, that is, it's a success story. And now it's time to go out and, you know, and solicit. So that's the time to bring them in, right? Not prior to that. And only if it's really appropriate and necessary because their commissions add on to the already, you know, the other expenses in marketing and things. But then is when uh, it's most appropriate in most cases to engage broker dealers because they can add value. They, you know, they can go to bat and, and you know, do really well. It's certainly possible because most of the market, most of the demand is created by advertising online in large raises with companies that don't have a huge audience already. Uh, and, you know, it's certainly possible in theory to tap out the easy to reach market, right? And in that case, it's like, oh, 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 our cost of advertising is going up in leaps and bounds. Let's get those broker guys on board. And by the way, they really want to be involved because this is a winning offering we're talking about right now. Yeah, that's the way to do it. You know, certainly broker dealers are part of that distribution formula. When the reggae's first came out, my my thought process, whether it's correct or not, I guess is to be seen, but my thought process was if you're going direct to consumer and you're raising money direct to mom and pop investors, you know, grandma can write a check on this one, that you were best suited if you were a consumer brand that already had a fairly large list of people who were uh, somewhat invested in you by buying your products and services, following you, et cetera. But you built a platform, are the, in, you know, if you set aside the broker dealers as part of that distribution, how do the platforms like yours and others 
figure in and allow companies that may not fit that model I described to still be able to successfully raise with a Reg A? The most important issue is first, you know, if we assume it's a, a valid company in a valid space, you know, where the strategy fits and, the, you know, the market trends are favorable, you know, all the usual things that you, you go through. If you assume all that, there's still a lot of companies that aren't, that are not going to find Reggae Plus the right instrument because they're boring or they're difficult to explain. It can be a fantastic company. But if it's too hard to explain it online and advertise it, that's not going to work, right? And although what we've evolved to is where um, com mostly, if it's a, if it's a share offering, then we want we want to do share offerings when they resonate with the investor audience because it's easy to explain and people care, or they think it's a no-brainer knockout success and they want to be on that train, right? Those, you know, those are two clear examples, and that works. Well, uh, when we're selective enough, which we are, that can work very well. Uh, but there are great companies that are boring or hard to explain where, frankly, you know, Reggae Plus is just not the instrument unless they're prepared to do, want to, can afford to do an offering that pays a decent dividend. So then, you know, an 8% to 10% dividend paid monthly in a reggae plus context, now we're advertising the yield in a very low interest rate environment. And when the potential investors come in, they're looking to see, you know, is the company real enough? Is it solid enough? Is the deal reliable enough that I can be in this for long enough to make it worth my while? And that works very well. So for that sort of company, you know, early stage companies can make a reserve against every dollar they raise to pay those dividends for long enough to where they believe they'll be able to pay them from proceeds. So, you know, that's what we've, we also see working well when the companies are solid enough uh, and want to take that approach, right? Is it an either or with debt and equity or are you seeing hybrids with convertibles and equity kickers and things like that? Well, generally not hybrids with convertibles and kickers and things because they're too complicated. The average Main Street investor doesn't understand that stuff. We're dealing with regular people who have some disposable income. They are generally optimists in a, in a Reg A plus, I'm talking here, not Reg D, obviously. They're generally optimists. In, in 100 people that are going to invest in a given offering, one or two of them will invest on the first visit to the offering page. So you know they're optimists, right? You know that. And I know that based on seeing their questions and comments. You know, I mean, we have companies where they've said no plans to go public, no plans for liquidity, you know, this is this and that's that. Oops, you know, absolutely overt. And then, you know, three months into a 12-month raise, we're getting messages saying, when's the IPO? Oh, excuse me. Sorry about this, but we did make it clear over here, not not just in the offering circular, this yay long document, but on the offering page, you know you're dealing with optimists when that's happening, right? Which is nice. It's a, it's a fun thing. Almost the opposite of your average accredited investor who's cynical, understandably, lots of experience, lots of opportunities uh, elsewhere. When you were booking this interview, you communicated back and forth with Daniel Pinaranda, who is in our business development, or as we all call it, sales side of things. But he is a recent graduate as an aerospace engineer and chose to go into the sales side of the business. 
you too started in engineering, and now you're essentially in sales and marketing, marketing deal making. I want to talk about that in just a moment. But first, if you're watching or listening to this episode of the Deal Flow Show, you can get access to our archives as well as subscribe and follow us for additional episodes or future episodes at thedealflowshow.com. All right, so our guest today is Rod Turner from Manhattan Street Capital. And Rod, my question for you related to that is, how did you migrate? How did it start with this engineering mindset and end up in sales and marketing? I am fortunate because I believe having an engineering mind helps me greatly as an entrepreneur and CEO, because I can't just satisfy myself with seeing something and saying it works. I have to understand how and why it works, whatever it is, right? And then I learn from it and I figure out bits of it that are great that aren't being used over here, but I put them over here. People think I'm being innovative. Actually, I'm not. I'm just taking an obviously successful bit here and putting it there where it's needed. And my God, it works well. Being an engineer helps with that. And being an engineer where I've been fortunate enough to learn to sell and market and lead and recruit and hire and all the things that you have to do and raise money. And now I'm, quote, a financier. I'm still the tech guy. I happen to be in a financing business because there's tremendous need and opportunity. But uh, my experience, I did a VC fund as well. My experience is super relevant and it helps me immensely, right? We don't go by tables and formulas and checklists and nonsense like that because we understand great companies. Rod, so you've been involved with successful startups. You've also taken companies public. Give us some of the lessons that you've drawn from those experiences. I am so fortunate, it's amazing. Not only in what I've been able to be doing and done, but also because I've seen so much, right? I mean, I pay attention to what's going on. I learn other people's lessons, right? I see other companies start up. Back in the day when I was at Ashton Tate, there was a phase where application software was moving to integrated software, which obviously makes sense. Microsoft Office is kind of an obvious incarnation of that today. But back in, the, back in those days, in the uh, mid 80s it was brand new stuff there was a company that had a marvelous brand name and a really good product concept and were venture funded and they announced and advertised what was so fantastic I mean if they were able to deliver that it was going to kick ass because it was going to be the first integrated application software productivity product you know spreadsheet word processor database in one yes very good but the thing was they spent all of their money in about a year and never shipped the product. Can you imagine the naivete or silliness there? How would they ever keep spending, <coughs> spending all the money on a megabug ad campaign when things are going wrong with development? You know, I mean, you can imagine, we can hypothesize about what, about what went on, but it was bloody astounding. The amount of money they were spending, because you know, when you're doing it, you know what it costs, was insane. Anyway, that was somebody else's lesson because they blew it completely. And if it had the resemblance, if it had the makings of a success, they burned their bridges so thoroughly, there was no way they could keep, uh, keep it going. You know, what I was sitting here thinking um, as you were going through some of that is, 
one of the episodes that we have in season one is with Kevin Harrington, and he just came out with a book, Mentor to Millions, and we were talking about the the power of tapping into someone else's knowledge. And clearly, you've got a lot of knowledge. I, I tell people, as you've got um, information that's hammered out on the anvil of experience. And my guess would be people who work with Manhattan Street Capital, in addition to all the mechanics and the platform and everything else, get to tap into that storehouse of knowledge as you serve them. And so I want to come back to, I want to come back and talk about people and let you ask your question. But before we do, if you're watching or listening to this episode of the Deal Flow Show, you can get access to our archives as well as subscribe or follow us to get access to future episodes at thedealflowshow.com. Rod, uh, we'd like to know what kind of people would you like to connect with from our audience and our potential um, guests that we've had on the show? Uh, you bet. Let me let me just say one more thing uh, that, that follows what you just said there, right? Because precisely what you said, I am doing, and I'm having a blast. We are in a regulated space. It's a little boring, right? All these regulations you read through them, it's like, oh my god, I'll get some coffee and come back. It's so dilute. It's so heavy. I am making innovations in this regulated space, doing things that are allowed but no one else is thinking of. It's a fantastic experience. This, this suit, I mean, I have this desire to succeed, to kick ass, to excel. That's always there, that sort of defines who I am. And doing it in a regulated environment, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll yell out, because it's like, yes, I found a way to do something really cool, really valuable in the selling and marketing of securities that is legit that nobody else has come up with this because it's so bloody perverse, but I figured it out. And I've had a few of those and I'm continuing to, to do that. So yeah, it's, it's fun. And our clients obviously get to benefit from that, about, but that's not what this call is about. But it is, that's fun. Who would have guessed in a regulated environment that there could be fun experiences or discoveries made in, in the regulatory you know, in, in within the regulations, you know, it's a, it's it's a astounding. We're doing stuff no one else can figure out. Where the barrier to entry is, oh my God, is that even allowed? How is that allowed? Rod, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if you want they want to connect? Send me an email at Rod Turner. So that's Rod like Rod Stewart, Turner like Tina Turner, at ManhattanStreetCapital.com. Spelled exactly how it sounds. Excellent. On behalf of Paul Nicolini, our co-host, myself, and Mr. Rod Turner at Manhattan Street Capital, I'm J.P. Maroney. And if, uh, again, if you're watching this episode of The Deal Flow Show or listening, you can get access to our episodes at thedealflowshow.com. If you think you'd make a great guest, reach out to us through the website. There's a way to do that. And, of course, spread the word, and we look forward to seeing you at the deal table. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you, Rod. For more episodes, visit thedealflowshow.com and subscribe.